Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Is another time for some more wine, some more chisme. And actually, I feel like we're going to have lots of laughter as well because I have Che Guerrero, comedian, Afro-Latino, Dominicano, here with me, TikTok famous. Right. Regular, he's get, working to be regular famous, regular, you know, daily show famous. Hopefully, <laughs> knock on wood. Yes, I, I got wood here too. I'll knock yeah. for you. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, uh, that, yeah, working on a lot of stuff right now. So I feel like I'm being pulled all over the place. That's why when you were like, hey, you want to do my podcast? You know, my show, it's we drink wine. I'm like, you know, I usually don't drink, but. When somebody's like, come have a drink. I'm like, all right, let's do it. I need to relax. <laughs> You're like, we, we need to do it. We need to, let's you know, it. it's so funny because I, like so many people found you on TikTok, but I really loved what you were doing. But before we get into all that, before we get into the cheese, maybe before we get into the bio, we always start with the wine. So Che, what kind of wine are you drinking today? Okay. I, I was going to go out and try and like make some sangria or do something special for this, but I got so busy and my partner was like, Somebody at my job gave me this wine you can do. So nice. Jersey Devil Forte. It's a red wine. Doesn't even tell me if it's like a like it's a blend, a, probably then. Yeah, it's a blend. So I'm drinking a blend. Nice. Jersey Devil. So I'm actually, this is an East Coast wine. This is the only Latin owned wine brand based on the East Coast that I have been able to find. Oh my gosh. And they are out of the North Fork of Long Island and they're RGNY. And I actually visited. So next year when I go to New York, we'll have to like meet in person because I'm taking the podcast on tour next year. Wow. In New York that's is amazing. The, I know. It's like. <laughs> when you're, yeah, let me know. Let me know when you're in New York. I absolutely go meet you up. If you do like a live event or something like that. Like yes. That, yes. Wow. I'm so excited. I it's It's been like something I've wanted to do since I started the podcast. So now that it's actually happening, I'm so excited. But I was in New York over the summer. I took my nephew and and I did some... You know, I had had RGNY on when uh, we were doing virtual wine tastings. So I finally got to go visit their winery. So if you have a chance, you need to go. They're awesome. Um, so nice. And the wine is amazing. So salud. Salud. Ready? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh, God. My boyfriend, my partner, initially when I told him I got brought this back, this is 100% Cab- Cabernet Franc. He was like, it's to this, it's to that. And I'm like, no, this is so good. And when I had him taste it, he was like, this is the best Cab Franc I've ever tasted. Yeah. And he's a bartender too. Like he's a bar manager. He's bar. So he 
and he's worked at these super fancy high-end restaurants where they have to drink a lot and know a lot of wine. Yeah. And he's like, what, how did they make this? Cause this is the best one I've ever tasted. I'm like, I don't know, but this is, it's so good. You have to go seriously. You're going to have to go. I felt like going with my partner. My partner is the person like, no, you got to try this. Let it air out first. As soon as they're like, do you want a wine list? I'm like, just pass it over to her. And, and <laughs> That's you know, what like, he does. He hands me the yeah. wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of nice. I like that. And then if I ever go, just try a nice Merlot. And people are like, does he know about it? I'm like, nah, I learned it from <laughs> So my birthday was a few weeks ago and we, he took me out to dinner and he has, he was my DD. Because I usually don't, if I drink a lot, it's usually at home or with friends. It's not usually out, out. And I'm usually driving. So I stopped myself. This day he was the DD and I basically went through an entire bottle of wine by myself. <laughs> and, you know, he was like, and I was feeling good. And he's like, yeah. is this how I am? And I'm like, you're way worse. <laughs> I usually have to be the DD. So, so I'm like, yeah, that's why tonight I was like, hey, you know, it's a podcast from home. That's there right. you go. There you go. So let me read your bio. Mm. Che Guerrero has spent 16 years tackling race, politics, and family through stand-up comedy. Che's style is rooted in his experiences growing up undocumented. A revolutionary voice on the modern comedy scene, his sense of humor and command of the stage is the result of obstacles often unseen by the average American. What I see, what did I say? Do you like the way I said it? You know what? It's like I've never actually somebody read it. So I'm like, oh my gosh, you almost look like it's a movie coming up. Like, I'm like, who is this interesting guy? Like, (laughs) you know what? That's so funny you say that because I've heard that so many times. And especially sometimes people write it in the first person. So I'll change it a little bit so it's in the third person. And then they're like, wow, I've never, I've heard that so many times. I've never heard it read back to me before. And, but I love, seeing people's faces when I do read it back or when I change it up just a little like yours, I didn't have to change up, but if I change it up just a little and they're like, wow, can you send that to me? That sounds really good. (laughs) You have a great radio voice. I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so great. I know. I I think I missed my calling to go into it. I think I should have gone to radio. You're doing it now. Look at you. You're right where you're supposed to be. That is very true. And I think that, that, that goes for, you know, all of our journeys, all of our journeys are very, very different. And now let me go into kind of how we connected and where I was saying earlier, third time's the charm, because we've, we tried to do it. You went to a, you got invited to a TikTok thing and then we rescheduled. I got invited to a Spotify thing. That's amazing. (laughs) This is like the third time we're like, yes, third time's the charm. But when I came across your TikTok and it's very like newsy, right? Like you're the anchor and you're standing in front of like news and you're like, take it from here, Jim. And then you're showing different clips of different people, like crazy people. Let's just be real. Like people that are racist, uh, misogynistic, just out of their damn minds. (laughs) Yeah. And then you kind of reshape it. It's so entertaining, but it's so educational at the same time. And that's what really, I think, draws not just me, but obviously so many people to you because you are doing it in this really entertaining yet educational way that so many of us can relate to. And so I was like, I need to just reach out to this dude. I need to just reach out. Like the answer is always no, if you don't ask the question, right? Yeah. Actually, when I started stand-up, that's actually like the best advice I got is like, I asked a buddy of mine who was getting booked all the time. And I was like, yo, how do you get so many shows? He was like, yo, I email everybody until they tell me no. 
And I'm like, that's not a bad, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Until they tell you no. That's, that's something that my do. mom always told me. She's like, yeah. the answer is always no. If you don't ask the question, it's automatic. It's, and I was like, that's true. So that's and, kind of one of my life motto mantras now. And I appreciate that you like the the breaking news stuff. I was even um, surprised at how much it resonated with people because it was like a, it was a one off. I did it once and people were like, oh, make this into a series. And then the more I dove into like Latinx issues and stuff like that, the more I realized like, oh, this is why people love it is because a lot of the issues that like our communities go through, first off, aren't highlighted or secondly, are so like traumatic that it's just like it's always difficult to like talk about. So I give them a little brevity by bringing in the humor and also highlighting things that like normally are not spoken about in our community. So I, I loved, I just love the, the reception from people. And like, by the, like the, I've done 50 now, I just posted my 50th, which is amazing. I've only been doing it Dang. for like four months. Yeah. But one of them, like the first one that got like 3 million views, I was like, Oh, okay. I, I understand why people like this. Like it took yeah. me a while to understand. Yeah. No, because, and a lot of times, I mean, you're a comedian, you understand that there's truth, you know, there's truth in, in humor. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like, I know so many families, mine included, that's how we get through tough times is through humor and through laughing, even if it is a really shitty situation. Mm-hmm. But you are undocumented. And I want to touch on that. I actually, you know, if you guys have not heard, I actually had another one. Another episode with my friend Luis, who is undocumented and well, and he's a dreamer and he's talking and he's talked about his experience, but everybody's experience is different. And it's, I think it's very, very important that we hear from different perspectives and different experiences, because just because one person has this experience doesn't mean that other person does. And me being an American born Latina you know, born here in San Diego, I never had to deal with that. And so I think, you know, having this platform, it's very, very important to me that we elevate those stories and we elevate each other in order to learn from each other so we can truly grow to the place that we need to be as a community. So can you tell me like your experience coming to the U.S. or how old you were and kind of just a little bit of background? Yeah. So I came here when I was six. I came here because, uh, you know, now I'm getting more of the story now that like I've been able to like reconnect with my mother and everything. But it was because of uh, my dad's abuse. My mother, uh, you know, in the Dominican Republic, you know, he had a little bit of he has a little bit of status or whatever. So it wasn't that easy for her to go to the police or anything like that. So she came up with like like a really elaborate plan to get us out of the country without him knowing. And uh, we came here and overstayed our visa. And that was pretty much when it started for me. I've gone through. And, you know, that's the thing that happens to a lot of uh, undocumented people. It's that it's not a straight undocumented situation. Like we fall in and out of status all the time. So like I had my, you know, my visa and then I lost that. And then my mom tried to get married, but that marriage didn't go through. And then I lost uh, that work permit. And for like, that was the longest time from like 18 to like my late 20s undocumented, got married, tried to go through that that failed, you know, that marriage ended on its own. Then I thought I was at the finish line and the government found out something about me. So now I'm getting my, you know, there's threats of getting my status taken away and being deported, but I definitely cannot become a citizen. So it's like, it's just this constant, I keep calling it moving the goalpost, you know, and, and that was like, 
just what keeps happening to me. It's like every time I think I'm at the finish line, it's like, nope, not yet. Or, you know, uh, or, you know, more, you got to do more. And it's just like, it's, I don't know where the end is, you know, right now. I always say to people, I'm from, I'm a limited time offer. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm here for a little <laughs> bit longer. Who knows? You know what I mean? And I don't know what's going to happen to me in two years. So that's why like, you know, when I found out what was preventing me from getting my citizenship and ultimately what could get me deported, it really broke my heart because it was because I had lied when I was 19 about being a citizen when I wasn't. It was to get a job as a nursing assistant. And then I tried to apply for citizenship while the pandemic was happening. And I chose to go back to work in nursing assist as a nursing assistant because I was already a comedian. And then I was like, you know what? This felt like the most patriotic thing I could do for my country, as cheesy as it is. I was like, mm-hmm. it's a global pandemic. I have the skills. I'm going to go back. And then I was working as a nursing assistant during a global pandemic and the U.S. government is like, you're not, a, you're not good enough for my country. You know, and that's what like broke me. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, first of all, if you hear something in the background, yeah. All three of my dogs are asleep, snoring. So if you hear anything, it's roughly that. It's all right. I just, I just have, like I still have some laundry over here. My cat is like in the back. So I'm like, hold on, let's, let's make this cooler for a second. There we go. <laughs> hey, this, this is real life, right? Where yeah, yeah. This is what's I love my laptop is older. I came to the green screen like you. I'm like, dang, man, I came to that green screen. I got to like keep it You know clean. what's so funny about the green screen is that I literally had a green screen to because my laptop wasn't, accepting just changing it to to this logo but now i don't have a green screen anymore just now i think i've used it so much it just kind of like pops up now it's yeah, like it's permanent like, we, we know what she needs like yeah. the She's computer learns for you she got it <laughs> that is really heartbreaking because i think there's so many of us so many of us that have even been born in this country that feel like we're not good enough for this country Yet we already have an advantage being born here. I cannot imagine how that felt because like you said, you're trying to, you know, especially when you're 19, you're freaking a kid. You're a kid. Like, and then you're, like you said, you go back and you're working and and then you're being told this and I'm frustrated for you. Is there anything that you can, I mean, literally, are you just having to wait to see and you know, it was at the time, you know, uh, Trump was president. So like, let's wait for a more friendlier, immigration friendlier president. And unfortunately, Biden hasn't done anything to move, you know, the needle in any direction. And then my biggest hurdle is actually like something that Bill Clinton passed in 1996, which he was the one that passed the law that if you ever lied about being a citizen, uh, it's automatically, you know, denial of citizenship and it's, you know, possible deportation. So it's just crazy how like, you know, the immigration system, it's it's even Trump for the idiot that he is, like he was still able to really throw a monkey wrench in there because it's so like every code means something and everything. So even like even somebody as Clinton, that you know, for all the things he did terribly, still did so many terrible things for the undocumented community that people don't even realize he did that. Like, wait, like, wait, that was Clinton that passed that law? Like, yeah, it was him in 1996. That before that, it was just a, like a misdemeanor, you know, like, oh, all right, you lied, whatever. Wow. Is that something that would have to just be done by executive order to take that part away? If Or was that something that has to go through like the whole process of... I think that has to go through the whole process because that was like a big bill that he signed. Oh, so bill, okay. That, yeah, and especially, and especially this one is like, if you lied about being a U.S. citizen, that seems like something Congress definitely wants to like, well, if we're going to make that, you know, we're definitely going to have to check that yeah. stuff out. 
And some people tell me like, you know, you can throw yourself at the mess at the mercy of the court, you know, and, and be like, I'm so sorry. And, and they're like, it's a coin toss. They can say it's okay. And they can say, no, I'm like, I don't want to go for a coin, a coin toss. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's scary. Like I don't, you know, and, and I read so many books that just of, um, and it's terrible. Like, you know, people who are in a situation I am, and then when they have to go to these lawyers where it's a, you know, a coin toss that they have to like relive the trauma to be able to cry crying in front of a judge guarantees you getting citizenship and i'll be real with you i'm so broken at this point i just be like motherfucker you're gonna give this to me or not can i curse on this you know yeah, I mean? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna be like please it's been 30 years i'll be like motherfucker yes or no like i'm done begging so i don't have i don't i'm also afraid i don't have that sympathy anymore of that i need to to even get past the judge yeah <laughs> no i mean that makes sense i think there's certain things that you just become like you just kind of rally against because you've gone through it for so long and you've talked about it for so much that you just become desensitized to it. Yeah. You know, unfortunately that's, there's way too many things that we as a country have become desensitized to because we hear about it all the time. Yeah. Right. It's ridiculous. So did you always know growing up that you were undocumented or was it like a pit, like a moment when you realized, wait, I can't do this because I don't have papers. It was uh, it was legit when I was uh, seventeen. Uh, I was uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a bright dude, but I was a very smart kid back then. I was uh, really doing well in school, even though I went to school like in, in the hood. Like I was uh, I was shining in my medical tech classes, and I actually um, so there was this pl- this organization called like Health Occupation Students of America, and I won like the presidency for like the state of New York, and with that came a scholarship to St. John University. And my dream was to become a doctor. And this was like 2006. So this is a little bit like, you know, before the internet really became like what it is. So I remember like going up to my aunt, I was living with my aunt and my uncle. And I was like, Hey, I got this scholarship and I'm so excited. I'm gonna go to St. John University. And my aunt was like, tu no papel, eh? ¿Cómo tu vas por esa beca? you know, like, I'm like, what do you mean? I don't have papers. Like, I mean, you need papers to get a scholarship. You need a social, you know? And no offense. Like my aunt is like, She's these kind of like people that are like, God, she was just so condescending about it. That mm-hmm. like it kind of like shattered my dreams to try and go to college. And that was the first time I realized, wait, what's going on with me? Like, what do you mean I'm on documents? And they're like, you know, remember we came here when your mom and your dad? Yeah, that means this. That was my beginning of my senior year. No, it was like my junior year going into my senior year over the summer it happened. And yo, in my senior year, yo, I just purposely like crashed and burned. I was like, if I'm not gonna go to college, if I don't have a future, then what the hell am I doing all this work for? So like, as again, as a bright kid, I just did the math and I knew exactly the minimum that I had to do. And for the rest of the year, the teachers got the bare minimum for me. After that, that's, I didn't find out until really I was like 17. And you didn't have anybody to guide you through it because, uh, and I don't, again, I don't know. I'm very upfront in regards to that, me not knowing. If you get a private scholarship from a private university, you would still be able to use that regardless. Isn't it just not federal? Like you can't use federal funds. You can't apply for financial aid and stuff like that. You know, at the time, my family was just so much like, we don't want to mess with anything. Again, you know, it's just, you know, Google was- Stay quiet. Don't stay under the radar. Yeah, stay under the radar. It's like basically- don't make noise. And also like, you know, my mom wasn't around. It was like my aunt and my uncle. They also had problems with their status. So in their heads, like, I'm not going to stick my neck out for this kid. Like I'm just raising it because mom ain't around. You know what I mean? So 
it was kind of like uh, everybody. Honestly, my my youth, my undocumented problem, my family really left it up to me, which was a little uh, mean. But everybody was trying to survive, and they're like, "Listen, you're old enough. You're smart. Figure out what this means." Wow. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese minute. Chances are you aren't sharing an epic dinner with your friends right now, but you could be. Just book a seat at a private dining event with your Chase Sapphire Reserve card. Then get to it. A multi-course menu, insane flavors, a wine pairing. Ooh, is that crispy duck? Experience more unforgettable dinners with private dining events from Sapphire Reserve. Chase, make more of what's yours. Learn more at chase.com slash Sapphire Reserve. Cards issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member of FDIC. Subject to credit approval. Term supply. With the holidays quickly approaching, let's be real. Honestly, the holidays are here. But I am so grateful to be back in California con mi familia. If you didn't know, I lived out of state and away from my family for close to 15 years. So when I was able to come home and spend time with them, I cherished every moment. Every bite of pozole everybody menudo, and of course, tamales. And although I'm not a big soda drinker, there is just something about Coca-Cola that pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together and the foods we enjoy as a family. The holidays are a magical time, and the holidays always finds a way to bring up memories and magic. So enjoy the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with good friends and family, delicious food, and of course, an ice cold Coke. To me, home ownership is more independence. A little bit more control, a little bit more space. Like this is literally mine. Buying your first home is a big milestone, but it can also be overwhelming. I'm Nadeska Alexis, and I'm getting an insider's view into the home buying process on the new podcast, Beginner to Buyer. Tune in to get the tools and tips that'll help you buy your first home. Listen on wherever you get your podcasts and learn more by visiting beginnertobuyer.com. The night that I got picked up in New York and almost got sent to Rikers for having a suspended license was the first time that it made me realize like I almost got caught up by the system without even being my fault and I almost got deported that very night. And it just it just like that 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 really was like the the like almost panic attack happened almost every night. Because before that, I was just like a crazy party kid, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm undocumented. But that was the first night where they were like, I, I got lucky and I got to see the judge that evening. But if I didn't, I would have gone to Rikers and I would have been deported. And I was just literally oh just my I gosh. Was, I was literally like, yeah, it's like it's like it's like one of these traumatic things. Like nobody cares when I tell them the story. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, this is like a very, very traumatic thing in my life. Like I, I got a bunch of tickets. Like so I had a, a driver's license, but I got it from the state of Illinois because Illinois like didn't really do a lot of due diligence when it came to giving undocumented people. <laughs> so, so when everybody complains like, Oh, I gotta go to the DMV. I'm like, yo, for like six years, my DMV was like a thousand miles away. Cause I was living in New York city. So I had to go all but the way. You to literally would physically go to Illinois to go get your every year for wow. six years. I have to drive. Yeah. I had to fly or drive to Illinois to renew my driver. And that was, that was my driver. Like, yeah. That was freaking paranoid as shit. Like my mom would always get, my mom would always laugh. Cause like I would try to make like conversations with the ladies like to be more friendly, you know what I mean? And my mom be like, cachate, cachate. Like, no, and I'm like, no, mom, if you act friendly, they think you like you more American. They're like, they think you, you know, you wait, you got- wait, you know it's so funny when you say that. 
my mom actually got detained by customs for being too friendly. Really? <laughs> They're like, she's too friendly. She's Latina. She's too friendly. Something's not right here. She, they yeah. took her and searched her. And my family thought it was the funniest. Thing. I mean, I wasn't with her. She was with yeah. my cousins and my dad and tias and tios. And they give her hell for it to this day because my dad's like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to think you're like doing something. Yeah. So, so, so I get it. <laughs> I, think, I think if you're an older person, you, you got to be quiet and like a curmudgeon. They're like, oh, that, that seems normal. But for like a guy like me, I got to be happy. Like, hey, Mira, <laughs> you know, like, why is he being all serious? So, so that's what I had to do. So then I got a bunch of like, you know, I was, I was 20, 21 driving around. I was doing stand up comedy. I started at 18 doing stand up comedy because I was undocumented. I was like, oh, it's the only job that pays cash. So I got a bunch of tickets, but I paid them off, right? But my license got suspended. So I knew that was a problem because I was undocumented. I was like, oh, okay, this was stupid. For me Why to did get your license. license get suspended? What did you do? No, just got a bunch of uh, parking tickets. Oh, right. from the parking tickets. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. So, so I paid the parking tickets and I was like, okay, whew, thank God. Like, you know, I cannot have this license get suspended. So then I'm driving after a show. Cops pull me over. They go license registration. I take out, I give them my license. And the guy go, your license is suspended. Get out of the car. And I'm like, no, my license is not suspended. Like I paid all the tickets. Like it's done. They take me in. This is on a Thursday night. They take me in to holding. They move me a bunch of times around Manhattan, Brooklyn to different precincts. And I'm really scared because like I, I left home kind of like, fuck you. I'm the, I don't care. I'm going to figure this out. And my family's very like, don't call us if you're in trouble then. And I was, I, I didn't make that phone call. Because I was like, whatever happens here, this is on me, mm-hmm. you know? And I was very scared and I go through it all. And then I find out, mind you, I got, I got arrested Thursday evening. So 10 PM. And this is already Friday at 9 PM. It's already been over 23 hours. And then I supposed to hold you longer than 16 or something like that. So they're already passed, whatever. And somebody informs me that if you don't go and see a judge on Friday night before night court, you automatically go to Rikers. And I was like, how is it? that you automatically go to Rikers. You haven't even known what I did. So I still didn't know why I got pulled over. I didn't know. I was like, I paid my ticket, I paid my ticket. So luckily, literally this woman comes into the cell, goes one, two, three, four, five. You're the last five to go see the judge tonight. I'm like, oh my God. Literally, I was the last dude she pointed at. I go and I find out that the reason why my license is suspended is that in order to reinstate it, I didn't pay the $50. I almost went to Rikers, almost $50. got deported for $50. And that literally like that still replays in my head of how easily it could have all just, just been taken. Away. I mean, I don't know if you heard of the Khalif Browder story, the young man who spent two years in, in Rikers after a book bag that he did not yeah. steal, you know, and that's just, and then literally like that documentary came out six months later. So it was really like, a, like I had like a lot of panic attacks about that for years until, you know, I, push someone to marry me. And then that fell through. So, you know, it was a lot of bad, it was a lot of trauma that this does brings that you don't think. I about. was about to say, when you're in that type of situation, I can only imagine like the desperation you have to hold on to the only life that, you know, Yeah. like the fact that you are driving or flying over a thousand miles just to get your driver's license. The fact that you're like with somebody and like, is this going to be the person? Come on, let's get married. You know, like, Look, there's so many people listening to this, myself included, that will never have to deal with that. That will never have to say constantly be on 
edge of what's going to happen today. What happens if now the conversation of what happens when I get pulled over is different versus what, like, am I going to be deported? Am I going to have to go somewhere that I've not grown up anymore that I, you know, I don't have like a physical connection to anymore, you know, because this becomes your home after, especially after so long. So it's so frustrating to hear that our judicial system are is so fucked up. It is like, it's not meant, you know, and look, as a light-skinned Latina, I know I already have an additional amount of privilege as a Latina who was born in the United States. I know I have a certain amount of privilege, but when people see my last name, a lot of times they're like, uh-huh, sure, sure. You know, like, because my last name is two last names. The first part is Yanyes. Yeah. The last part is another easy name. So it's very like, it's very in your face that this yeah. like, oh yeah, this girl's Latin. <laughs> you know, and, and that's great that you're at least like, you know, able to check your your privilege. I know that like, you know, my mom, uh, uh, you know, she, you know, well, my stepdad, you know, he's been in my life since I was like, you know, seven. Also has issues with his status. But, you know, the guy's Mexican. He's from Durango. And he's constantly getting harassed, constantly getting pulled over, you know, my fear, at least for me, you know, was always internalized because nobody really thought that I was like this, you know, undocumented Chamaco. You know what I mean? They were just like, ah, you know, whatever. Sometimes the people would be like, oh, he's a light skinned black dude. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I had that privilege and it took me a while to realize, yeah, I was able to fly under the radar for a long time because, you know, learned English, you know, grew up in American culture most of my life. So that that was a, a way to hide myself. Have you ever read My Undocumented Life by Julissa Arce? Yeah, I just finished it actually. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> she yeah, literally just popped into my head because, you know, obviously she had a lot of things. She hid a lot of stuff. She like just all of these things. And even her experience of being with somebody who didn't know her undocumented status. And one time, this is true. One time I dated a girl for six months. And it wasn't until like last year that we found out we were both undocumented. Like, we're like, whoa, we were banking on each other. Like, we were like, this is going to be my she, she thought I had papers. I thought she had papers. And we were like, yo, we, if we got married, we would have screwed each other. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, let me talk about, um, because I'm sure this, all, this theme, right, will continue yeah. throughout. But when did you first find or get a sense and in, in, in glimpse into your sense of humor. Is this something that you've always kind of, because obviously being a comedian, you was that something how you dealt with the traumas that were happening around you or what kind of led you into that path? I don't know. I just always like making people laugh, which is kind of like the kind of problem I've had. Like, you know, if you want to go into this later, I guess, you know, kind of like the, the call out videos that TikTok has, which sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, Oh God, I'm not being funny. I'm just being like, so I've always, I've always liked humor as a way to like diffuse, you know what I mean? And that's like, um, I'm actually going to therapy right now. And, uh, one of the things is, um, my father, he's a lot of the reasons why, like I have a lot of trauma was very funny. He's a narcissist. So he's super funny because that's the thing that she taught me is like narcissists are like, you know, they have to be charming because they have to like bring you in and suck you in and then make you feel like you're the problem because they're so funny and charismatic. So I learned how to be charismatic from my father. And that's like a bad and a good thing because I saw how he used it for evil. And I want to be like the one who uses it for good because like my dad is super funny. Like he can get anybody like my dad, he would take me out to one o'clock in the morning drunk 
but he would stand in the center of a New York City street and start talking to people and form and people a crowd would form around him of people just want to hear his jokes or his stories. And I was just like, wow, I didn't realize my dad was like like a orator before, you know, before I knew what it was, you know, he could just stand in the street and get people to talk to him. I was fascinated by that. I thought that was amazing. So I do that in the playground. You know what I mean? I try to see if I could do jokes. And before I knew it, like I would have my own little crowd of like, you know, kids listening to me and always throughout like my whole elementary school career was like, uh, elementary school career, <laughs> like elementary school, like in report cards, <laughs> my teachers would be like, he's very funny, but he talks too much. And I'm like, but you already said I'm funny. So like, what am I losing here? You know what I mean? Like, so, so I'm more, she's very smart, but she talks too much. Why <laughs> yeah. always, he's very funny. And, but, but, you know, unfortunately like that became like a way to sort of like uh, a survival mechanism, you know, cause like what was happening with my dad, you know, and his kind of abuse and then being undocumented. And also like, it actually like kind of became sick for a little bit because my mom would be like, don't tell anybody we're undocumented. Tell people you were born in Queens and tell people that you were born at this hospital and tell people this. So like my mother kind of gave me permission to, to make up my own lie about my life, you know? So I also got to tell my friends really elaborate stories about where I was born that were not true, you know? And they're like, wow, this kid's amazing. You know, cause like, so I was and it, it became a problem that I had to deal with later on with all the lying and stuff like that. But just as a kid, just storytelling and comedy became like a real escape. And then when I became, you know, when I was 18, I was undocumented. And I just like, I had, you know, no future. I felt like I had nothing going on. In a conversation with a partner, she was like, you should be a comedian. And I was like, how do you become a comedian? So I Googled funny jobs. And stand-up comedian showed up. And I was just lucky that, like, I was in New York City, which is the biggest city for stand-up comedy. So that very night, I went out and did an open mic. And that I very did, night? That I... One thing about me, I, I heard this phrase later on, which I love. It's about improv, right? And they go, that improv is like building a plane when you're already in the air. And I love that. That's how I live my life. My life, people go like, oh, are you going to go to college? Like, I went to college, like, at 32 when the pandemic hit. Like, I literally decided on a Monday, I want to go to college. I've never been to college. I have the opportunity now. And then by Thursday, I was signed up. And that's it. Like, I finished college. Like, I don't wait. Like, I build the airplane while I'm already in the air. You know what I mean? So yeah. I told my friends, I want to, I'm going to, I think stand-up comedy could be something I could do. Let's go tonight and let's figure it out before I wake up tomorrow. And I'm like, never mind. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I am. <laughs> so I went that night and I did, I did jokes that I wrote, but I didn't realize were jokes that are stand-up jokes. You know, like I, I did a joke about if I get canceled today, I'm sorry, but it was my first joke. And I told my friends this theory and they thought it was very funny. And the joke was, the theory was that I think that Dora the Explorer is actually like a coyote. And that she's just <laughs> taking people across the border and she's just taking way too long. Like, I can't wait for the episode when an entire family pops out of her book bag and they're like, listen, Miha, we're just going to walk. We're going to, we got it from here. Give us the map. <laughs> and we got it from here. <laughs> I told my friends that story. Like, oh, wouldn't it be funny? And I said that and everybody laughed like way more than I thought. And then afterwards, this guy came up to me and he was like, wow, like, you're really good. How long have you been doing it? And I was like, tonight was my first night. And he was like, it seems like you've been doing it like a long time. And that night, I remember promising myself, all right, if all my friends are going to college 
if they're about to maybe go to medical school, it's going to take them eight years. For the next eight years, I'm going to de dedicate myself to stand-up comedy. I'm going to watch. I'm going to learn. I'm going to write. I'm going to do everything possible. And I, I had a really good success. And then I made the mistake of becoming political because I was very, I was not undocumented. Nobody knew I was undocumented. Nobody knew I had my issues. I was the tap dancing, happy go lucky Latino, like some people like to be that never like to complain about anything going on in America. And then <laughs> I became the Latino who goes, Hey, comedy clubs, you're racist. Hey, you know, Trump is a, you know, a lot of the comedy club owners are Trump supporters, you know? So really? I was like, Listen, Oh, Oh my God. This is something that people don't know. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you don't know something because you don't live the experience. Yeah. Only three major comedy club chains in the United States. Okay. They're all owned by white Trump supporters. So literally, if you want to be a stand-up comedian and make it in the circuit that brings up the talent that you watch on TV, you have to be a certain type of brown act. Wow. Are you serious? I, I can show you my tax returns. In 2015, I was making $32,000 a year doing stand-up comedy. Not great, but slinging dick jokes, not a bad way to make $32,000 a year. <laughs> yeah. Trump put kids in cages. I started talking because the kids in cages like was like undocumented. I found out I couldn't be a citizen and the kids in cages. And I was like, what the fuck am I hiding for? Like if I'm not using my voice and I started talking and I started, you know, really being vocal. The next year, my my tax return was eleven thousand dollars doing comedy. Because mm -hmm. once you start talking about the problems and the issues, especially when the comedy clubs owner are Trump supporters, you know, they just got to blackball you. They just got to like secretly not call you, not return your emails. And then you just go away. They just hope you go away. So that's that's where my my life of like, I love comedy. I love making people laugh. But when you start to take a stance, man, the backlash is is real. Are there any things like anything you can, I mean, obviously if they're owned, they're privately owned or whatever, but is that what led you, honestly, is that what led you to finding TikTok? Is that what led you to finding social media and doing these things on social media? You know, it was the pandemic that led me to, 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 to turn to social media, but I didn't expect that the rebellion that I was already like leading towards, like, no, I, I, I can't do these, these tap dancing jokes. I can't like always make pretend that like everything's great. You know, I went on TikTok and I started talking about my undocumented status and seeing how much that came that I realized like, no, I actually fit in a very particular sphere and I shouldn't let these people take that away from me. I am so thankful for my TikTok audience because like out of it, I did one show that like literally changed the way I look at everything. I went down to Austin, Texas and I've never been to a town that had so many undocumented people, you know, living up in New York City, you know, undocumented is an issue, but it's not in your face. You know, it's not like that. Texas, border towns, it's always in your face. And I did a, a set in front of uh, a bunch of people who have been undocumented are currently going through with DACA recipients, things like that. And it was the first time that anybody had cried during my jokes because, you know, I, I do a joke about like my mom and and telling me, oh, if you don't pick up a sweater, you're going to get deported. And let me tell you how that's going to happen. You know, and like like these kind of like <laughs> exaggerated things that undocumented moms would do, you know. And there were people crying. I never thought my jokes would make people cry. And afterwards, I asked them, like, hey, man, why were you why were you crying? They're, they're like, because I've never laughed 
at being undocumented. I never thought like, oh, yeah, my mom telling me all this time I'm going to get deported was actually kind of funny. You know, maybe once or twice it was kind of funny the way she did it. And it just really released a lot of people's energy. And it made me realize like all the time that these white people kept telling me like, why are you doing those jokes? And why are you doing this? Like, Because they didn't fucking know what it was for. I didn't even know what it was for. You yeah. know, but once I found the audience and I realized, oh man, I just love making you guys laugh. And I love that if I could be the one that could take our trauma, it's like, a, I heard Jeff Foxworthy say that a joke is like, it's like a piece of coal that you can kind of squeeze and squeeze and squeeze until you get a diamond out of it. That's what I try to do with my trauma. I'm like, let's squeeze this trauma until we get a diamond that we could all be laughing at, you know? Breaking news, over the weekend, two Latinos working a construction job in California accidentally awakened the Kraren and it was angry. Jim. What's your name? What's your name? You better figure it out. Right now. What's the name of your company? Find your boss. For those of you that don't know, the Kraren is created after a white man becomes a failure in life. His actual Facebook post. After becoming a failure and turning into the Kraren, it will spend his days harassing vulnerable communities, which is why when he thought these people were undocumented, it was claws out. However, when confronted, the Kraren turns into its true form, a little bitch. Jim? You know the name. You don't need a second. You just tell me the name. What is it? Wait. Let me go. Why? Let me call my boss. No. Okay. You guys... I'm done. Look at him run. And thank you, Latinos, for showing us how to deal with a Kraren with step one, act like you don't speak English. Step two, ignore it until it goes away. And step three, if that doesn't work, threaten to call the thing it fears the most, a white man that's not a failure in life. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. <laughs> that guy's actually been hitting me up on Instagram all day. Which, the, the one that took the video? Yeah, the Kraren. Yeah, yeah, he's he's he's. Uh, I'm gonna make a video about it tomorrow. But he's been very very racist on my page. He ran from that construction site to my DMs. That's, that's exactly what he did. Oh wow, those types of things I think is so. It takes a to me. It takes a certain type of person to be able to find the humor, to be able to find the nuance. That is, you're straddling. You're really educating. You're like really pointing out these fucked up things yeah. but then also having a sense of humor about it and so it doesn't surprise me when i found out you're a stand-up comedian i'm like oh that totally yeah. makes sense yeah because just the way the nuance that you create these from this you've been posting like your dream is to be on the daily show is to be a correspondent for the daily show we know that trevor noah is leaving at the end of the year but was it Trevor Noah or is it the platform of the daily show that really drives you that that is like a dream of yours? Late night talk shows have, oh, I love, I love late night talk shows. Like every morning my partner like wakes up and she sees me running through the gambit. I'm watching like the Trevor Noah. I'm watching Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, Jimmy K. I'm watching because I love it. I love the idea of taking, you know, the most current news and trying to figure out how to make it funny. And my, my dream beyond anything is to be a writer or a correspondent on one of these shows. But my dream, honestly, and it's it just, it, it kind of breaks my heart because it's a simple dream, but it's not a very simple dream for Latinos. I just want to work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I just, I wish, I see a lot of my white peers who started stand-up comedy with me quickly get like writing gigs and and get sort of like, in the middle of the comedy world where they can make a living out of it, you know, either be a writer or something like that. So that really is my dream. My dream is just, I just want to like a career that I can say, Hey, look, I'm a writer on this show. 
that could end and then I could be a writer on another show. Like that's really where my passion is pushing me these days. You know, one of the things I'm learning from TikTok the most is like, you know, from that clip that you like, that you liked is that I'm a decent writer. You know what I mean? Like I'm a, you know, I can, I can actually write some stuff down. And there's been some jokes that I've done that I've seen on late night later on in a different incarnation. And, you know, and, you know, I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. So, and unfortunately, you know, for Latinos and you see a lot of TikTokers post this, that, you know, if you're a white TikToker, you know, the sponsorships and the the things are there, you know, and, and Latinos don't get or, you know, black people or any other kind of minority group don't get that same kind of push from brands and things like that on TikTok. So, you know, I'm, I'm very happy for the work that I'm doing. And I hope maybe it gets into like, you know, the ears of people over at Comedy Central. But right now, I feel like it's just I'm happy to have the audience that I do have. Yeah. And I mean, it continues to grow, obviously, because you're really resonating with people. So I hope I want you to like blow up even more and then be like, I know him. He was on my podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, uh, I will say this. I think, uh, you know, there's a little, a little achievement, a little behind the scenes stuff. I am writing a TV show with Eva Longoria's team. And that's, that's the thing that's really got me like the most excited these days, you know, that I'm like, if this thing can even move to the next phase, because right now we're like in phase one, it was just writing. Even if I can like actually pitch it to some networks the way we're we're talking, mm-hmm. that I feel like would be like like a dream come true in a point of like, man, this really feels like I made it. Like this. So actually- is this based on your life or is it based just totally different? Yeah, it's a, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. There's a little bit of a twist, you know. I mean, I already wrote the the treatment. I sent it into the writers' guild. So if anybody tries to steal this, I'm like, hey, I wrote this first. I don't even. It's very simple, actually. It's semi-autobiographical. It is about an undocumented kid who wants to try stand-up comedy. You know what I mean? And it's but the thing that they liked about the show was that I made it a coming-of-age story. You know what I mean? I yeah. said it, I um, which was something that I read from a memoir that it's easier to write your life story 10 years ago, you know, because you're kinder to yourself. So it's a coming-of-age story. <laughs> Yeah. So I wanted, you know, that's the thing I wanted to really um, disconnect myself from it. So that's why I made it, you know, 17 year old, just finding out. And there is a little bit of a twist in it that uh, they kept telling me, like, you know, make the comedy world something different that nobody's seen. And I was very happy I came up with something that that makes the comedy represent. Yeah, don't tell it here. You could tell me once we're not recording. Yeah. Well, I just <laughs> it, it's a very interesting way to both like I always do deal with the humor and also deal with the trauma. So the humor develops from a traumatic place and it, it kind of like feeds into everything that happens to this undocumented kid. So I'm very proud of it. I actually have my next meeting with them tomorrow to see what the next phase is. Yeah, I really, I really want this to hit. Like I really, really yeah. like want this just because, um, yeah, I just feel like this will be the thing that will help me feel a little more comfortable with like, okay, I have a career that might, that might have some longevity. You know what I mean? So that's really my biggest, my biggest thing right now. And you know what? I was literally thinking at the very beginning of us talking of this interview, I was thinking the more high profile you get in regards to like contributing to something, then I feel like may hopefully maybe that would help you because you would be working and you would be contributing. And then, you know, like it's sad that it has to be like that. Right. But each person that we're able to help and that are, that is able to obtain legal status is one more person that we can help that will can help and use their voice for the people who are unable to speak for themselves. So I think that's so rad. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. I am putting a lot into this one. You know what I mean? uh, (laughs) You know, I'll be right with you. Like, look, this is nothing against 
the audience that I have on TikTok or whatever. But just TikTok is always so fast paced. Like you always have to be putting stuff up to feel like you're relevant. And then I'm starting to get a little anxiety from that constantly having to chase the follows that when I was writing this TV show and this, they were like, take two weeks and come up with something. It felt so slow and beautiful that I'm like, God, I, I want to slow down my life a little bit. And I think writing and, and getting into this would actually like help me slow it down a little bit. So did they find you from TikTok or how did that come about? The TikTok Latinx Creators Program happened in 2021, like November yeah, of last year. Mm -hmm. A lot of good friends of mine, I was, you know, just starting off. I really only had like 50,000 followers at the time. So I wasn't. So look, I'm almost at 200,000 now. I have like 700. I have, my, I have zero TikTok game. <laughs> cut, cut these up. Keep putting them up. You know what I mean? You, you, you'll, you'll get your followers. Trust me. You just, TikTok is all, again, it's all about like consistency and also drama. So I got, I got good at figuring out like, okay, where's the mess in this? You know what I mean? So, so I was only at 50,000 followers. You know, I was, I, I was, I was very happy with that. And a lot of my friends... Uh, were like, hey, this Latinx Creatives program is coming up. Like, you should try it out. And I was like, I never win these things. Like, I've been doing stand-up comedy, go for contests. I never win. But whatever, man, it's just like a couple of questions. Let me fill it out. And I did. And it's the first time I've ever been selected for something, to be honest with you. Like, never won anything in my life. And I was one of the 150 selected. And, you know, I got to do a couple of programs to learn how to, like, make better videos and and how to really build your brand and what a niche. I didn't even know at the time what a series was. I, you know what I mean? I was like, what's a series? Like I got to come up with a TV show for TikTok. Like, no, no, just one thing people like and do it all over again. I was like, oh, okay. So I learned all this stuff and that program ended, but then they secretly put out like a thing for all 150 of us. Hey, we're giving away $50,000 to 10 TikTok creators to come up with their dream projects, you know? And I had already kind of started toiling around with this idea for a TV show about my life. And I have a, a writing partner. Their name is Alyssa. They're amazing. And I was like, you know what, Alyssa, I'm going to pitch this TV show idea. You know, it's $50,000. I think we could shoot a pilot. And I think, you know, I think we could do it, you know? And Alyssa was like, go for it. So I made a video. I sent it in. Now, this is what's weird because like, it was to fund everybody's dream project. It was macro and Eva Longoria's team, unbelievable, was involved with this. So it was like a, a three-prong approach kind of thing to it. And whoever, the 10 that got chosen, five would go with uh, Macro and five would go with Eva Longoria's team. But it was like a, a pickup basketball game where the, you know, Eva Longoria was like, I want that guy, or I want that one, whatever. <laughs> so I submitted, whatever, and it went to like three phases. I had to do a bunch of stuff. And I, at the end, finally, like, yeah, you won the money. Like, congratulations. You're going to be working with Eva Longoria's team. That's so awesome. Congratulations on that. That's Thank you. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. And then it was really crazy because it happened like in May, we found out where they're like, keep it quiet. So we need, we didn't get to talk about it till September. So like, I knew for like four months, five months that I won this and I couldn't talk about it with anyone. I must, Did you put a video out on it? I must've missed yeah, it. Yeah, I did a breaking news about it and I posted up a couple of, I was on uh, Deadline and a couple of other like publications did a thing about us. But the thing that was really cool, and this is personally for me, Eva Longoria's team, and this is nothing against any of the other nine creators. This is nothing against them. Everybody else was kind of like their pet project that they wanted to create and, and bring up or whatever. But Eva Longoria's team was like, we like your idea as more than just a pet project, which is why we don't want you to go out and spend your money on something 
shitty. Not that it's going to be shitty. So it's not going to be quality to sell to a network. So they made me retool everything that I was planning on doing because they've generally like gotten behind this project as like, they want to try and make it, you know? So that's why I'm like, you know, so thankful and like scared at the same time. You know what I mean? Like I started therapy. Like, I mean, I'm I'm too anxious. Well, I mean, that's a really big thing and it could put a lot of pressure on you that you have these people believe like such high profile people believing in you. So I could get that. I I, You know what? It's actually not so much the high profile people believing in me is that this is the first time that I could actually probably help out my family. You know, I have seven undocumented family members that I feel like I'm looking out for, you know? So this to me feels like I can help them out so much that it's just like, God, just give me that golden ticket. This isn't even for me, man. Yeah. I'm taking grandpa to the dance. You know what I mean? Like, that's like it's not bad. even for me, you know? So, so that's why I like a lot of the anxiety comes from, and my therapist says it's, it's from trying to protect what I have. So that's why I'm like, I'm trying to protect it so hard. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit because something we talked about prior to me hitting record is everybody has a different undocumented experience. I was telling you about my friend. My friend Luis actually did go to college. He went to, I believe he went to SDSU and he got like, he's a still a dreamer and he has his own business. And then you have your undocumented journey that you're still going through. And then recently you talked about another couple who have actually like Mari and Yoel. Mari has been on the podcast. She has been on the podcast. We're on friendly terms. Mm-hmm. And her, she... Is an she's American born Cuban, but she lived in Cuba for a long time. Her husband is from Cuba and they got married and they were separated for a long time. They move, you know, he's now here in the States and they document a lot of his first experiences. And you made a video on it saying, Well, go ahead. Why don't you say what you said? And then Madi made a response video. And then I will tell you my, like, because I think it's very interesting, the different perspectives. I want to start off by saying Marty's response to my video was classy. She did respond with class and grace. And it made me realize, like, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I did say that a lot of their I love America, I love America videos did come off a little bit as propaganda for me. And I, I'll, I'll take responsibility for that 100%. You know what I mean? And then the problem was that I didn't, I'm not just trying to make excuses here, but I didn't really think about who was I attacking in that video because a lot of people in their comments will say, look at you guys doing it the right way. Look at you guys applying for citizenship. Why can't other people do it this way? And seeing how their numbers grew so fast, it really made me be like, God, you know, a lot of Americans, white Americans, want to believe that their journey is the norm. And that a lot of me, you know, people like I who have gone through this and keep having the goalpost move that we're just liars and making it up, you know, and that's where I felt like I could have been like, they make these videos and white people gobbling it up. It's what's bothering me. I always tell my students and everybody that I do everything with is always punch up. Don't punch down. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Go after people in power. Don't go after, you know, people like me and you who are trying to do this. So that's where by making that video, I made the mistake of going after them instead of being like, you know, the people in their comments that they don't seem to be correcting 
that say do it the right way. It's really what's hurting me at the end of the day. Thank you for saying that. And I, we did talk about it beforehand because I was like, hey, can we talk about this? Yeah, yeah. I don't like, I, first of all, I don't like being like a gotcha person. I appreciate that. You know? And it's not a got me person, anybody watching. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that completely. And if you would have said, no, I don't want to talk about it, we wouldn't have talked about it. But, you know, we had a conversation offline even before we started recording. And so Mari was very much like, look, everybody has a different document, undocumented experience. This is ours and this is what we're recording and this is what I'm sharing. It was a little bit more in depth than what I'm sharing, but I'm just giving you like the high level, people giving people the high level. And so for me, like I said, I've interviewed her and I've talked to her and we've become friendly and I now interviewing you. And I, as somebody who does not have to deal with that again, like maybe it's because I'm Latina. Maybe it's because I also have a bleeding heart and I want everybody to be okay. You know, I was like, I got kind of understood what you were saying. Like I could see your perspective, but also like kind of getting to know Maria a little bit and hearing her. And actually I, if I would have seen that before, I probably would have sent you and I will still send you the link to her episode. So you can hear like her, like what we discussed. Yoel wasn't really on it because his English has actually gotten a lot better since from when we recorded. Yeah. And I didn't even think of it in the way of doing it the right way. I never looked at it that way. For me, I always look at it at the way of we are still very fucked up, but there's so many more places that are even more fucked up than us that you come here and you're like, you only see the green grass. You only see the bluest sky. You only see these things because you were denied so long mm-hmm. of seeing these things that when you come to some place, of course, we are far from, we are an imperfect country and we have so much more to go to, to progress and to be a truly inclusive country. But when you are in, come from something that you couldn't do those things, and as fucked up as it may be, now you're coming to somewhere you you are able to do that. I can only, it's like, um, I kind of equate it to the Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. from living in black and white to living in color. Yeah. Things weren't perfect in, in the land of Oz. There was still evil. There were still things happening. But when you first open those doors and you first experienced it, you're experiencing things for the first time that you've never experienced. I totally get that. And I kind of had the same thing happen to me about uh, a year and a half ago with a cousin of mine. What was his cousin's boyfriend? He's in his 30s. He just came from the Dominican Republic for the first time. And, uh, you know, I came here when I was six. So I was in Florida and I was sitting across the table from him and I was complaining about everything that's wrong with America, you know, like, and, you know, this and that, this and that. And he told me, hey, man, you know, why don't you shut up? You know, America's the land of opportunities. You know those Jordans you're wearing on your feet? How much did they cost you? And I told him straight up, I was like, really? To be real with you, these are limited edition. They cost me $600. He goes, do you know how long somebody in the Dominican Republic has to work to get those sneakers? Do you know how long somebody has to suffer to get those sneakers? So why are you complaining about the U.S. where you can get sneakers like that? So what I did was I took off my sneakers. And I put them on the table and I was like, then take the sneakers. Because if the most you want from this country is fucking sneakers, then take the sneakers because I want respect. I want dignity. So I'm sorry that when I saw the videos of Yori and Mari, it it kind of felt like that cousin telling me, why are you complaining when you have those nice sneakers? Mm -hmm. Why are you complaining when we have Walmart? Why are you complaining when you get to pay a check? 
man, I pay my checks, but I still can't become a citizen. I go to Walmart and spend my money every day and I still can't become a citizen. So I took it out on them way more than I should have on that. And I'm sorry. Yeah. No. And I think everybody is totally intact because again, everybody has their own experience. Like I was just saying what my observation was and I didn't even look at it as being the right way, the wrong way. I was just like, oh, it's really cool seeing this person experiences for the first time. It's really beautiful to see something like that. And And that's why everybody in the comments kind of makes me feel like, you know, you should be happy to be wearing those sneakers. Look how happy he is wearing the sneakers. And I'm like, I don't want to just wear the sneakers. I want to be when I walk down the street. And I think think the difference is, is, and I don't know. I don't know how, if the feeling will change, right? When you're still in the honeymoon stage of something, everything is beautiful. Everything is wonderful. Then you settle in and reality settles in. Again, I don't know what that experience is going to be in regards to that or not. Yeah. But I think all of us, once we learn more, at least for me, I can only speak for myself. The more I learn, the more I learn that I never learned, right? The more that I feel like things are keep being kept yeah. from the access is being kept from us, the more pissed off I get. Yeah. And that's why I like having a platform like this and then seeing people like yourself and even seeing people and seeing people like Mari and Yoel, like seeing these people striving, like all of us striving for something more is so important. And we don't want to take our eye off the ball. And that's why it's so important for people like myself who are born here, who truly care about the community to not be silent. If we have an opportunity to amplify a message or amplify voices, we have to take that. We have to be responsible for the, for that. At least I do. At least I think we do. That's why, like, that's why this whole podcast was created for that. You have to use your voice wherever you can. And, you know, like I said, sometimes with TikTok, you just, you know, sometimes I, I lead too much with emotion instead of rationale, you know, and realizing like, yeah, I should probably be a lot smarter when, you know, when you're trying to talk nuances with, within people in our community, you know, because that's the kind of thing I, I realized now talking to a lot of people, you know, they were like, you know, you don't know what Cuba was like, and, you know, this was like, and I was like, you know what, when I made that video, you know, I was pretty much pretty hurt from my experience. And I realized like, you know, what is this guy going through? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you only know, I don't know if you'll, you guys will ever have a conversation and you ever have to, I have no clue. Yeah. I have her email if you want. If you ever want it, <laughs> I'm just saying. I think she responded so well. I think like, you know, I think sometimes, you know, I honestly also, it kind of brought up a lot of great conversations. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people keep telling me like, you know, hey, you know, like, like I keep saying like, you know, Hey, just be happy. You got the sneakers, you know? And it's starting to make me realize a lot of people really do have that mentality. Like you should just be happy. You're here. And a lot of people come into the comments, like, you know, not everybody had the same experience. So the conversation is, is, is there. And I think it's, yeah. it might be important, even though sometimes it might seem bad. Sometimes they're important. Yeah. And I will say this. I don't think you need to settle for the sneakers. Personally, I don't think that. I think when you're telling one person to t- settle for the sneakers, you're telling everybody to settle for the sneakers. Yeah. And yeah, I don't agree with that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And again, that's, that's why I feel like I take it too much to heart when I saw those videos. It was like, you know, hey, man, be happy for the sneakers. You know, yeah. if I could put as simplistically as where, where it came from. Yeah, no, I mean, and like, you know, some people will hear one thing, some people will hear another, all based on experiences and everything. But I'm glad we were able to like, you know, yeah. touch on that and everything, yeah. because I think sometimes, you know, it is important to have conversations that do blend into all of these things, because not everything is black and white. 
Yeah. There's so much gray area and a lot of everything is dependent on your point of view, who you, you know, what you've learned about yourself, about the world around you. I mean, like all of these different things kind of color our color our world and change our perspective or solidify our perspective, right? Yeah. So I would never hate on you for having that perspective, nor will I hate on Yoel and Mari for having their perspective. Because again, at the end of the day, I don't know what it's like to be undocumented. I just want to be able to learn yeah. and be able to share your gut, you know, share stories and amplify stories, especially for so many people who have not ever had to deal with that or don't know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm learning so much about uh, different experiences, you know, just through people in the comments being a little like, it's like nothing against them, but somebody wrote, well, we're not Latino, we're Cubans. And I was just like, okay. Like, so I mean, I'm realizing like, you know, we try to act like Latinos are one giant monolith, but we're not, man. Oh, we are no. So beyond different. And I, I, I keep making the mistake of not realizing how the different factions are going to react when you come after one of them. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I even get so mad when I hear of like Tejanos, right? Mexicans that live in Texas that are, you know, and then I hear them voting Republican. I get pissed. I'm like, you are so voting against every, look, the, I've not ever been a conservative. My parents were, they've not, like they've, some things, and I've gotten in arguments. I'm not afraid to argue with my parents when I think they're wrong. Same. I'm not. I'm like, they say this and I'm like, you know what? If you're going to, I I think I told my mom recently, you know, if you're going to have a, if you're going to keep talking like this without knowing information, I can't come over here anymore. Wow. That's wrong. And my mom didn't say anything because she's like, it's my house. Well, first time she was like, it's my house. I can say whatever I want. And I'm like, but you sound, mom, I love you, but you sound so dumb right now. Like, seriously. And then she just doesn't say anything. Well, it's my house. I'm like, well, it's my ears. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, I've, 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 luckily, I've, my, God bless my niece and my nephew. They've worked on my mom, you know, on their grandma. And she's come around to a lot of things. Because when I say, it's like, ah, tu no sabes. But when the grandkids say, like, I don't want to look like a bad grandma. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got to send me a little, you know, so anti-blackness in my, in my language, you know? Right. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah, it's, so now let's pivot again. That's yeah, what we do. We just. Thank you for letting me talk about that. It felt nice. You know what I mean? It felt nice. I was, I was dwelling too much on that, on that, on that, you know, cause when you have like a bad thing happening on TikTok, you're like, oh my God, am I a bad person? Like, no, no. I was just, you know, in my feelings. I was in my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Well, it came out. You were in your yeah. feelings and it's, yeah. a, you know what? And here's the thing. It's okay to be in your feelings. Yeah, things you have to get it out. You have to, whether it's yelling, crying, punching a pillow, whatever, not don't get physical with some like yeah, unless yeah. it's a sexy physical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a different hey, let's get a little more water for that one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so like we're gonna pivot, you're gonna pivot. <laughs> but um, so you're writing this project, you're you're doing this. What else is on the horizon for you? I am going to Next year, 2023, I'm going to apply also for another grant to write a book. I really want to write uh, an autobiography. If the show doesn't come up, I, I really want to do that. I want to keep growing my podcast. I have my own, uh, my undocumented ass podcast, which is great. I get to interview a lot of people who've gone through the undocumented experience and, and do that. And uh, honestly, I really, really have two or three more ideas for TV shows. I just, I want to get down in writing. I have so many ideas that I realized like, 
I want to create characters that are strong for Latin people. Uh, one of my favorite directors of all time is Mel Brooks. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his movies. Yes. Like, yeah, like Young Frankenstein. Young I Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs. But I want to do, so you know exactly where I'm going. I want to do a crossing the border, like Blazing Saddle types Mel Brooks movie. Oh my gosh. Sticks and like that's my like that's the next uh script that me and my writing partner are gonna do. I'm like, I, t- I told them, and they're also a Mel Brooks fan. I'm like, we gotta do a Mel Brooks crossing the border comedy. We gotta do like oh slapstick <laughs> and, and jokes <laughs> and looking at the camera, like, oh god, we're about to do it, you know. And uh, that's that's you know, I live in San Diego, I'm only 15 miles from the border. <laughs> oh, well, I, I don't think we're gonna be close, but I'm actually coming to California in January. I'm gonna be in Los Angeles and uh, and then San Francisco. Well, let me know when you're in L.A. because my parents live in Orange County. So sometimes I've been in L.A. a lot lately just for different events and projects and things yeah. that, you know, things like I don't get invited to the TikTok things, but I get invited to the other things. <laughs> I get, well, the other, but actually, I'm, I'm putting it out there tomorrow that I, I'm coming out to California, not as a vacation. It's more of a work study. Like I want to any you know political meetings any marches anything that's going on in california from january 18th to 22nd i want to know and i want to i want to be a body that i don't even care if they ask me to like prepare snacks for the march like i just want to be of service to the community so that's why i'm going out to california i want to learn uh, cali politics if i you know yeah i my day job is in politics then let's, let's <laughs> I, so you can help me figure out like, it really because I, I, I just i i want to go to texas and do the same thing i want to like travel the country and just learn the local latinx community politics of that town kind of thing that's that's what yeah. i want to do i am actually Such the director nerd. of communications for a, a local council member here oh my gosh yeah then you're definitely the person i want to talk to you about <laughs> so you said that i just started laughing. that's why i started laughing <laughs> if i could shadow anyone or maybe if anybody wants to make tiktoks with me while i'm up there that'd be amazing so that'd we'll figure amazing. something out we'll figure something out encanta. <laughs> yes thank you so much i want to respect your time like literally i have like 50 million more questions running through my head but i want to respect your time and everything we'll come back for part two if people like this and they, they don't think I'm a jerk after going after Jody and them, then we'll, I'll come back. <laughs> come back. And then when you're ready to, like, when all your projects come, feel free to come plug them anytime. Oh, my gosh. You know, I always, um, I don't, real quick, like, uh, Judd Apatow, when he was a kid, he interviewed, like, uh, Seinfeld before he made the show Seinfeld. Uh-huh. So maybe I'm always like, maybe this is the thing. Like, you know, you interviewed me before I made the Emmy-winning show, you know? Yes. <laughs> And then you can thank me in your speech when you win something. <laughs> thank you so much. It was great getting drunk and talking to you about the this. The one is awesome. <laughs> it was great. We did it. It was a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate it. I always appreciate anybody sharing their time with me because you don't have to. And I do appreciate it. And I'm glad we got to laugh. I'm glad we got to hear really like a lot of your story and you got to share. And I'm glad you feel more at peace now, like sharing what you shared that I think that's always important. Ultimately, you need to feel at peace with with whatever because turmoil, it only just, it can only go to, it can only spiral down if you don't take care of it. Exactly, exactly. Well, everybody make sure you go find my undocumented ass on TikTok. Is that the same as your Instagram? Instagram, yep, same everything, yep. And you have YouTube, Damien? Yeah, uh, also my undocumented ass on there. You can find the podcast. And if you're on Spotify, 
Uh, check out my album, my stand-up album. It's called A Temporary Summit. It came out last year, if you want to check it out. Ooh, okay. I'm going to have to check it out. A Until next time, summit. mi gente. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.